Father, I hope you enjoyed that. It was just good to be reminded of those truths. Please give us open ears now to hear what you say in your word. Say that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. I'm not Bill Vogler, but at least I'm short, so there's some semblance of similarity. We're going to look at Matthew 11, the first uh, part of the chapter this morning, if you want to find that. And I'll read this for us. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? That's all I'm going to read right now. But since John starts with um, a question here in the text... Uh, I'm going to share a couple questions with you also at the beginning. Uh, First question is, if you could be any color, what color would you be? Profound theological question. The answer, of course, is blue. (laughs) Because everybody knows blue is the best color. Next question is if you could describe yourself as any animal, what animal would you be? Answer? I don't know. Nobody ever says snake. I know that. There are a lot of birds and things. One of my observations is these are icebreakers, obviously, that we use in small groups and things. One of my observations is that all of these questions were invented by girls. (laughs) If boys had invented these questions, it would be, if you could have any tool at Home Depot. (laughs) 14 amp DeWalt cordless drill. This baby is great, just so you know. And it makes me feel more secure being up here, having it with me. Another question, it's another if question, and you've heard this question before, but I think it's really interesting to answer it. And the answer to the question is, I'll tell you the answer, my whole sermon is the answer. The question is, if God were going to become a man, what would he be like? If God were to become a man, what would he choose to be like? Let me read you some verses out of the Old Testament. Uh, remind you of things you've heard before. I'm just going to read them. You don't. I, you, it's, I'm going to go too fast for you to flip here. But Exodus 19, Moses and uh, the group are at Mount Sinai, and it says, "On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled." And then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. 
Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Here's the Lord talking to Job. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the room, when I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? Do you have an arm like God's? Can your voice thunder like his? Then adorn yourself in glory and splendor and clothe yourself in honor and majesty. Unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at every proud man and bring him low. Look at every proud man and humble him. Crush the wicked where they stand. Bury them all in the dust together. Shroud their faces in the grave. Or from Psalm 104. Praise the Lord, O my soul. He wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his his upper chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. He set the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. He covered it with the deep as with a garment. And the waters stood above the mountains. But at his rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of his thunder, they took flight. Now, those are some, and those are a sample and relatively typical, I think, of the Old Testament describing God. And I asked myself, what would this God look like if he became a man? And so I made a list that occurred to me. One was, I would imagine he would be a very powerful being. That seems to make sense. I also wrote down fearful, dangerous. Unlimited power. I I can imagine God appears on earth and he sweeps his hand and buildings collapse, you know. Or he looks over at this person and they go flying off because he's angry. Or he closes his eyes and you knew this was bad. He closes his eyes and suddenly everything starts to shake and buildings and a whole city collapses around him. Now, I can imagine God being like that as a man. The other, some other words, unapproachable. Can't imagine being buddy-buddy with him. Awe-inspiring. And I thought an unearthly quality, that if he became a man, he would seem more supernatural than natural. That's what I would expect. Well, John the Baptist hears about Jesus, and he's confused. Uh, His confusion is, well, his confusion is, what did he expect of Jesus exactly? And actually, he tells us what he expected, so I'm just going to read this to you. Here's what John expected God to look like when he came. It's from John or Luke 3. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, 
You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit that is in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you, out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. A little further on, he says, I baptize you with water. But one who is more powerful than I will come. The thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork, or read pitchfork, is in his hand to clear the threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. But what John expected was power when God appeared on earth. (laughs) He really expected power to be unleashed in sort of a fury against evil, which would include most of you, right? (laughs) He expected to see people quaking and writhing before God come to earth. But all he got was Jesus. And he was confused. Where is the power? Are you the one that was to come? Or are we supposed to expect someone else? Jesus answers him in the rest of the text in in, uh, Matthew 11. Jesus replies, "Go go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Another way of asking the question for me that I think is really interesting when you, you think about this is, if God was going to become a man... What kind of impression would he want to leave? What kind of first impression would he want to make? What would he want people to see about his power? Was there any power with Jesus? Answer, yes, (laughs) there was. But what's... Striking is it was not power to intimidate us. It was not even power to overwhelm us, which certainly could be an expectation. And it was certainly not a power to destroy us. It was really, what kind of power was it? What kind of power did God display for us to see? I choose to call it, power for us. People saw power, but it was power for them. You could think of it as unlimited, irresistible power expressed in love. And that was surprising. It was surprising to John, certainly. 
My mother died a few years ago, and at the end of her life, she had lung cancer. Uh, at the end of her life, we were involved with the hospice um, ministry, which for us was an incredibly wonderful experience. And hospice sent a woman to our house named Rose. Uh, Rose was a small person. Uh, she was not paid exceptionally well for what she did, but she came and she helped take care of people who were dying. And my mother loved Rose. She could do what uh, my sister and I really could not do very well, and that was she just knew how to take care of mom. She knew how to help her uh, in this situation. Uh, it was striking that my mother liked her because Rose was black. And my mother didn't like anybody who was not white, essentially. You know, but there was something about Rose that really won her heart. <laughs> because she loved her. And in the midst of that, the other thing that dawned on me was that Rose was not just there for my mom, but she was there for me and my sister because I realized how much she was comforting me, how much she helped me just being there. And she gave me confidence of what was going on. Uh, it was a wonderful experience, and it humbled me to meet Rose, and to think that Rose is doing that today somewhere for somebody. I mention her because when God came to earth, he came like Rose. He came like Rose. You could say he came like a doctor visiting his patients, sick people. But what happened in reality was that God came to a broken world full of broken people. And he came with power, but it was power that really mattered in that situation. Power that really made a difference in a broken world. And sickness, you know, has a terrible power of its own to destroy people. We saw this with my mother as she died. Sickness is a terrible thing. It destroys your body, but it also destroys people's spirits and their hearts. And it is so exciting to me that Jesus came with a power that was greater than the power of sickness. He came with a power that restored people. And these accounts in Matthew 11... Jesus is literally healing people, right? He is the deaf, the lame, the blind. He's healing people physically. And he still does this. That's why we pray. If he doesn't do this, we, why do we pray exactly, right? We ask him to help us. And he heals us when we're sick oftentimes. You know, we have stories of this. He heals us when we lose our jobs and we're scared to death. He rescues us in the midst of the financial uh, struggles. He, he rescues us when our marriages are struggling. He still does that, praise the Lord. But at the same time, you know that there is no guarantee that sickness will not overcome you and your family. There's no guarantee that 
a four-year-old child like Caden, who we prayed for, will not get an aggressive form of cancer. And his parents will have to walk through that. And there's no guarantee that your marriage will not struggle. And there's really no guarantee that you will not die. In fact, you will die. (laughs) And you will struggle. And you will have sickness. And your children will do things that are very difficult for you to handle. That is why we're so thankful for the power that Jesus brought. (laughs) Because it was power for us in the midst of all this brokenness. Praise the Lord. Um, A lot of us know the story uh, of Lillian, who is uh, Linda Pollock's sister. Linda Pollock, Howard, go to our church here. And her sister is in Florida, and uh, a lot of us have been praying for her. She's had stomach cancer now for quite a long time. And Lillian, at first, they found the cancer. They had to remove most of her stomach, and they tried to repair that. And for a while, she was able to eat, uh, and her body was able to process some of this, but that only lasted a while. And eventually, they uh, put a feeding tube into Lillian. She received all her nutrition that way, but that has recently stopped working. And uh, now she's getting her nutrition completely by intravenous, uh, what do you call through IVs, uh, 12 hours off, 12 hours on. Uh, and she knows that she is dying. I mean, it's, it's a progressive descending toward death. And what's exciting about Lillian's story is when you talk to Linda... Linda is there right now with her, because it will be a matter of time. But Linda says, Lillian is not being destroyed by this. She's living with hope. She's living with confidence in the Lord. And she really is experiencing the power of God. Unlimited power of God right now. And soon... She will really experience the power of God in a very climactic way after she dies. And Jesus reaches out to her and touches her and all of her disease is gone. And all of the pain and the sorrow is gone. And death itself is wiped away. And death will never touch Lillian again. That is power. And that is wonderful power that we need. Matthew 11, Jesus is doing all these wonderful things. In John's gospel, if we go sideways here, every time John talks about these things Jesus is doing, he calls them signs. He says, because they're not just healing somebody, but they're signs that point beyond themselves to something else. What do they point to? Well, you know the answer to this. They point to Jesus' identity, that he is, in fact, the Messiah, that he is the Christ. And he comes with power to heal our ultimate brokenness. He comes not just to heal our bodies, uh, 
but he can overcome our sin and our shame and the destiny that we have to be judged by God as John the Baptist was talking about. Sadly, the worst sickness that we have is in our hearts. Uh, I guess you could call it congestive heart failure. It gets each of us. Uh, We lose our temper and we lash out at our children or our wife and then we're sorry. And then we lose our temper and we lash out at our children and then we're sorry. And then we lose our temper and we lash out, you know, and we're caught in this cycle. I chose temper. James is big on the tongue. It seems to be with everyone, but there are worse things that we do. And it's not just that we do these things and so disobey God and incur guilt, but it's what we think. And it's not just what we think but it's really who we are, just that sense that we are just broken inside completely. There's no way we, we deserve to be with God in heaven. And it says in, in the Gospels, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And that the Father sent the Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world. So all of these healings are signs that point to the real healing, ultimately, that we have in him. The ultimate brokenness and the ultimate power, ultimately, here. And one other question around the power of God. And that is, have you ever wanted to be powerful? Have you ever wanted to be powerful? I'm only five foot four inches tall. And when I was small, I was even littler. And I never grew. I just, my cousins would grow and seemed like, man, I'm never going to grow up. And my cousin Steve always beat me up. And I always wished that I could be the guy that was on top at the end of these fights, you know? And I used to dream... The truth is, I still dream of being Superman. (laughs) When I became a Christian, I also, after a while, I began to dream, wouldn't it be great to be as powerful as Jesus? That would be a great deal. (laughs) And in the Gospels, in Luke 9, we have the story that Jesus sends the twelve out. And it says he sends them out and he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick. In other words, he gave them power to do exactly what he was doing. And in John fourteen twelve. He says, I tell you, all who have faith in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things because I'm going to the Father. Randy is another friend of mine who lives in Iowa and he's a pastor of a very small rural church. 
And if you put Bill Vogler with his thousand-member church and Randy with his 60-member church next to each other, Bill wins. Inevitably, he looks much more powerful. Randy looks pretty much not doing too well for all the time he's put into this. But that's not true. God has used Randy in wonderful ways in this church. And one of the things I love about what Randy does is he spends about half his time as a hospice pastor going around to this rural community, sitting with people who are dying, sitting with their families like Rose. And that is a powerful ministry. That is a powerful ministry that God is using in that community. I talked to Sue Demarest after the first service, and she had babysat for four families this week while her husband, her bad husband, was off in the northern Minnesota messing around with Al uh, and some other guys. And Sue had been babysitting for families who just needed someone to take care of the kids this week. And I know other stories in our congregation of who has gone to sit with Darren and Shannon this week while they're in the hospital with little Caden and this chemotherapy. And then I know other stories of you who have, who have not been able to pay your rent and someone in this congregation paid your rent. Or others who have bills that couldn't be paid and someone here paid them. That is the power of God. And one of the surprising things, the first surprise in this passage <clears throat> is that God shows up and the power is not what you expect. It's power for you, power for us. The second surprise is that the same power that Jesus displays is the power that God intends you and me to wield every day in our life. Think about that. And it's to mark your life. You're to be characterized by the power of God. I don't mean you're supposed to be smarter than other people or win the, uh, win the arguments or be healthier. But the power of God that you see in Jesus is to mark your life. He sent you out to bless, to heal, to save with that power. That's really surprising and what an incredible privilege. We have time, so I have to say this. We did a Bible study this week with uh, our international group and we studied the book of James. And James says, your faith is worthless if all you do is sit around and talk about this stuff. So I just want to give you a minute and think, how would God have you use this power this week? How would God have you use this power? Just think that to yourself, would you? Is there something he's been talking to you about and you simply haven't done that you should do? Some need you know about? Is there some way in your family that you need to use your power to bless them or at work?
or in this church family. John the Baptist is confused here, and I loved it because it really helped me to finally see something about how did God want to display his power? What was the impression he wanted to make? And the answer was he wanted us to see that his power, unlimited, was not to overwhelm us, intimidate us, destroy us. His goal was to bring his power for us and to share that power with us. It's incredible. So I'll just say that his power is here this week for you. No matter what your situation, with your marriage or your children, it's with you even if you're like Lillian and you're dying this week. And it's also with you to heal and bless and be used by God in powerful ways in other people's lives. That's an incredible truth, wonderful truth in a broken world that God exerts his power for us in that way. Hallelujah. Stand and let's, let me share the benediction with you, please. You'll notice in your bulletin that the response to the benediction is praise the Lord. It's praise the Lord because I like saying praise the Lord. And I think it fits. You have heard this benediction a hundred, no, probably lots more than a hundred times. I want you to listen to it again in light of what we've just said. It goes like this. Now to him who is able to do far more than we can ask or imagine. According to his power at work in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. And everyone said, praise the Lord. Amen.